Welcome to the Nerdaplexi Comic Movie Review Show. In this series, we are going to break down and analyze every comic movie released between 1989's Batman all the way to 2008's Iron Man. We are going to track the trends, hype the hits, and dunk on the duds, all in search of the perfect convergence of comics and cinema. Joining me on this epic journey is my longtime friend and frequent co-conspirator, Sam. 30 seconds, no more dick. <laughs> so sit back, grab your trench coat and fedora, and relax as we dive into Dick Tracy. This music is so... I, I didn't look into that. Before we go on, is this, is this Danny Elfman? It's Danny Elfman. Okay, well, that's why it sounds exactly like Danny Elfman, then. This could easily be Batman. Well, Warren Beatty directed this film. It was released June 15th, 1990. Stars Warren Beatty, Madonna, and Al Pacino. Now, this movie, it was, like I said, it was released June uh, 1990, uh, hot on the heels of Batman. Ad campaign was huge. This was a huge, me- the huge media blitz kind of got me caught up as a kid, just getting excited watching ads, and it would be all over the news and stuff. I believe the first time I saw this um, was the same way I saw a lot of movies at a drive-in as a child with my family, you know, in the back of the minivan. This was a big one for me. I really love Batman, the animated series and stuff like that. So this slotted right into that zone. Sam, how about you? I'm sure I've seen bits and pieces here and there, but Mm -hmm. um, I was just a wee babe when it came out. And I do, though, have the VHS tapes from the original 1970s cartoons. I had the bed sheets, so um, (laughs) I know a little something about Dick Tracy, but I didn't catch this movie when I was a wee one. Fresh watch. Very exciting. We get a very stark intro with this one, red and yellow of the Dick Tracy's outfit. I don't know the exact timeline on that, but those were the colors that were available for uh, print at that time on a cost scale. You can see the change in other regular comics of the era as well when they upgrade from eight colors to 16 to however many. There's a radio broadcast uh, talking about all of the crime wave that's been happening in the city. And we get a zooming shot Uh, With that, Danny Elfman scores were flying through the city, seeing all the various sites. I actually watched this one 1080p on a Blu-ray, and I don't think those intro visuals held up very well in the uh, HD era. I didn't notice anything. I was taken away. (laughs) Watching this for years on a VHS copy taped off of a regular TV, seeing this high-def transfer, some of the matte paintings in this one stick out a little bit more than in some other circumstances sometimes you can get away with that like star wars this is one of the last movies to ever do that use actual paintings as backgrounds and it's really neat but it does limit your camera angles you can't sweep the camera from left to right or else it's extremely noticeable so you'll see a lot of still shots and uh it's stylistically i think it was a pretty cool choice yeah That makes sense because that's where you can really see the seams when the camera is panning and moving from left to right and things like that. Let's check the budget on this one. Production budget was $47 million. And I'll tell you what, it's all on screen, baby. At least $40 million of that is prosthetics alone. Oh, dude, those prosthetics are so creepy, but so great. Yeah, our first introduction is we see Kit snooping around and he stumbles upon a bunch of these goons all playing poker. That little kid is also the little kid from Hook, yeah. which is 
Only interesting to note because he does share the screen tangentially with Dustin Hoffman, who mumbles, mumbles, plays hook. And there is a ton of actors and famous character actors in this one. Uh, was Numbers, num- Numbers was, ah, he was the sheriff. He's the principal in Back to the Future, the sheriff in Masters of the Universe. I cannot remember his name. James Tolkien? James R.R. R. Tolkien. <laughs> James Tolkien. <laughs> Tolkien, not the... Uh... I know. I, I made that joke the other time. I think it was another J. Tolkien. <laughs> yeah, the writer or something. Not Tolkien. So there's a couple of goons that have some great looks. We got Little Face. We got The Brow. We got Rodent. Shoulders and Stooge. Now, these are all just regular Dick Tracy characters. And what they did was they used prosthetics to adapt the stylistic drawings of these goons and create a horrifying mishmash. These are all ripped straight from the strip. There was like a featurette. It's on YouTube with some of the effects design and they show tiny face. It's just a oversized (laughs) head and they have like a child actor doing the face and they just overdubbed lines over top of it. So tiny face, right? That's how you get such a tiny face. (laughs) So we see all these goons at the table and they're interrupted by the new gang in town, big boy and his enforcer flat top comes in and Tommy guns, everyone and kid is a witness to this crime and scampers off. But it sets the tone that Big Boy is taken over. And he leaves a little message on the wall. Oh, yes. See what you can find. I want to leave a little message here. It says, eat lead, Tracy. <laughs> he uses Tommy Gunn to leave Dick Tracy a message. Well, Dick Tracy comes to the crime scene eventually. He's interrupted. His famous radio watch comes on in the middle of the opera. And he has to excuse himself. He goes, he investigates. He comes back. So, I mean, he makes it in time for the ending. With his girl, Tess Trueheart. At one point in time, the police say, we don't know who they are. They didn't have ID, <laughs> which I thought was really funny because these are the, <laughs> the most recognizable people maybe ever. <laughs> this posits an interesting thing that I kind of wanted to bring up here. There are regular looking people in this universe, mm-hmm. and there are also these comic strip monsters. No one seems to remark on these horrible visages, as it were. So are these people born looking all crazy and messed up? Or is this just you get to adulthood and some people just grow a monster face and some do not? Or is this like a Jedi thing? If you go dark side, you get all jacked up. Or it's like a like a third person thing where they the only way you could see that people are evil is this literal representation of their ugliness. I see. Interpretive. I like it. I, I like all. Let us know your theories. So speaking of those makeup goons. They got to go somewhere to relax. And the next set piece is at the Club Ritz, where Breathless Mahoney performs and her man, Lips, eats his oysters. Yeah. (laughs) It's very bad. The song, very good. Breathless Mahoney, Madonna. She puts on a couple of performances to varying degrees of success. This is a good, the good song, I feel like. All of the songs were written by Stephen Sondheim, famous Broadway Broadway everything. He's right up there with, you know, like Android Lloyd Webber. Did you say Android Lloyd Webber? That would be a really cool Dick Tracy character. Oh, shoot. He's going to freeze himself. I don't know if he's alive, actually, but he's he's coming back. He's alive. Cats too. Pretty sure. Return of the Phantom. <laughs> That's next season. We're doing all the musicals. We're going from Phantom of the Opera all the way to Return of the Phantom of the Opera by Android Lloyd Webber. <laughs> oh, before we pass this up, I want to get back to something that happens at the very first act. 
as Dick and Tess are leaving the opera, she mentions something about him dumping her and getting someone new. And he says, I- I'd never do that to you. Something to that effect. You're the only gal for me, Tess. And uh, little uh, Chekhov's infidelity. Well, I mean, what does she expect? She calls him Tracy. Shouldn't they be on a first name basis? I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Or is it, can you only say dick so many times in a PG-13 movie? <laughs> it's like the military, like, the detective, so. Tracy? I would say yes to your co-workers, but not to your best gal. Well, it's, hey, it's Tracy on the streets and it's dick in the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. He's one of the people that I'm really glad not everyone is a, a fair representation of their name. That would be really rough prosthetics. We are skipping the trauma movies, so we won't get into that kind of stuff. Well, if you've ever seen um, Nothing But Trouble with uh, Dan Aykroyd. So back at the club, some cops show up to do an arrest of Lips and Breathless, but it turns out they are not cops. They are fake cops working for Big Boy, and they spirit them away to a secondary location, which is never a great sign. Then we see Dick Tracy and Tess at the diner, and we meet again the kid as he steals a watch and runs off. Tracy gives pursuit. I'll call that a street cute. (laughs) So Tracy follows him back to his house, which is a matte-painted shack on top of a hill. The special effects are a little bit wonky here, but um, it's pretty fun. And you see that it's kind of an Oliver Twist situation. His kid is working for a monster-faced gangster who didn't save kid any chicken. That character is Steve the Tramp, and that's one of the rarest Dick Tracy toys you can get now because Ooh. there was a lot of backlash for the the anti-homeless undertone of that storyline. Mm. Yeah, well, Dick Tracy shows up to save the kid, and he beats the guy up. You can see the matte painting of the shack rocking back and forth, what I thought was pretty funny. A lot of the the visuals here in this scene reminded me, because I've seen this movie first, of the Sin City aesthetic uh-huh. that they used a lot of. So I got a lot of like Sin City vibes from these like rough characters and these action sequences. It's got a similar vibe for sure. They both really go for that visual aesthetic of the comic. The very first scene actually before the matte painted intro is dick tracy through a window and it looks just like a comic book frame there's a couple of moments like that where they frame it really well and you really feel like you're watching a comic book next we see big boy down at the dock who extorts club ritz from lips then kills him in a pretty brutal manner for a movie like this (laughs) what did you guys think of his uh him taking a bath it was pretty gnarly okay correct me if i'm wrong Mm -hmm. but feel like this was marketed to kids heavily yeah so that being said if marketed to kids i think i have a death count of 27 in this movie (laughs) what was this rated was this pg-13 pg no it's pg (sighs) it's different now there's there's some teat cutes later (laughs) yes there is i was shocked to see it because i must have seen this movie taped from tv is all i'm thinking is because there's a lot of scenes that i do not recall at all but uh yeah this was pg it was pretty pretty wild but this did follow a trend in the 90s and 80s where for some reason they would market adult action movies and thrillers to kids there was a whole aliens toy line that they were pushing terminator 2 was big with toys too certainly not a children's movie but it was a weird kind of 
think RoboCop toys. Like, why Why would you want children to watch RoboCop? <laughs> that one is definitely a stretch. But they did then make those RoboCop cartoons. That's how they did. They would always make right. six episodes of a shitty cartoon. It's okay. This is RoboCop Adventures, and he's a good guy. So this is a pretty brutal murder, I will say. And I guess it doesn't really strike me as a kid. Other than he puts him in a box full of cement and then drops him into the ocean. He gets fitted for cement boots. That's a whole cement suit. He sleeps with the fishes. Yeah. Fishums, the fish. All of them. They're all there. Yeah. But kid gets a feast. And then Tracy ditches Tess and this kid he just found and goes out to arrest a bunch of folks under false pretenses. He constantly is just leaving that kid by himself. To his own devices. Good thing he's self-sufficient, right? Yeah. Honestly, there's a couple of times later there's a, a, a kid getting to eat montage. And I just have to say, when watching this movie, I identified very strongly with kid. And I think that's maybe that's where they're, they're pitching towards children having this character. Because during that montage, I wanted to be kid so freaking bad. Kid was the coolest. He jumps on the back of cars. He like steals shit. He like eats everything. Wanna wait? Hell yeah. So anyhow, song and dance numbers we were talking about earlier. Big boy, he's doing a direct. He has taken over the club and he is taken over the direction of the stage acts. I love the scene. When he said I was good, I want to get into show business. I did not think this is what he meant. A very creepy audition scene. He knows all the words, all the moves. He's spanking butts. He's spanking bellies. Yelling. And then we find out that they've been doing this all day and it's two in the morning. Here's a fun fact. Al Pacino said that Madonna opened up. I, th- I don't know if she's wearing a coat in this scene or what scene it is, but she opened up her coat mm-hmm. to reveal that she wasn't wearing anything underneath it. And he said, if you ever see me in old age with a beatific smile, that's what I'm imagining. <laughs> Why wouldn't you flash Pacino? And also I'll flash Pacino right now. This is the height, basically, of Madonna, too. This is her. She's like vaulting into superstardom at this point. And. She is doing the sex pot role here incredibly well. This is a performance and a half from Madonna. During the interstitials here, they show Dick, who's interviewing Mumbles. Yes. Which is also very funny. Dustin Hoffman just crushing it. And uh, he's sweating him out under the lights. He's getting water out of this little polar bear, uh, little polar bear's dick, I guess. That's where the dispenser Uh is. Yeah, look it up. Where the polar bear's wiener would be. You know, I mean, I guess that's where do you drink cold water from? Straight from the polar bear's dick. (laughs) Yeah, this is one of the spree of Dick Tracy's wild abuses of power as he's coercing mumbles to get a confession. He's like beating guys up, doing false arrests. The polar bear does make an appearance later in the movie, too, significantly. Oh, yeah, that polar bear's coming back. Don't worry about it. Uh, Dick trumps up some charges. He finds walnuts at the scene of the crime and knows that Big Boy loves walnuts. And then arrests him for it. That's awfully circumstantial. (laughs) (laughs) Walnuts, baby. So yeah, I guess he has 48 hours to find some evidence. So he goes to shake down Breathless Mahoney because he found an earring at the crime scene as well. Yeah, he'll shake her down all right. We get to see Breathless in the boudoir. And she's wearing a very sheer nightie. And yet again, shockingly, for a PG movie, technically PG. But uh, yeah, she's just full out naked um, for the whole first half of this scene. Here's the thing. Americans get a little hung up on on boobs. So it's not it's not weird, I wouldn't say. It's a very tongue-in-cheek kind of 20s sexual scene where there's a lot of innuendo and stuff like that, but I mean, she she do be nude. He asks if she's if she's not mourning lips manless and she said she's wearing black underwear. 
You know, it's legal for me to take you down to the station and sweat it out of you under the lights. I sweat a lot better in the dark. Whew, I was sweating. I'll tell you what, I was fucking sweating after that one. <laughs> right. She also says, I know how you feel. You don't know if you want to hit me or kiss me. I get a lot of that. So, I bet she does. She's a dame with a smart mouth. <laughs> Next morning, we uh, see Dick head back to his house after his night of false arrests and secret trysts. And we see that Tess and Kid are at his place. Then Tess leaves, and then Dick leaves without the kid, alone in his apartment. Yeah, he was sleeping. But um, I, I don't know. Did you guys notice that when Dick got, got home, he was being a little frisky with Tess? He had some secondhand Mahoney going on because he was like, oh, hey, 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 give me a kiss. <laughs> Dick was feeling it that time. He was trying to do his best. He was he was all wound up and he, he tried to come home to his gal, but there was an orphan in his bed. So, um, ah, darn it. <laughs> It always happens that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Thinking about getting frisky and there's an orphan in your bed. Yes, exactly. Yes, he leaves a kid in the apartment because he has to get chewed out by the DA, who is... Dick Van Dyke. Starring Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke. There's so many people in this movie. It's wild. So, but the DA is upset about all of the crimes that Dick Tracy has been doing and all the abuses of power. It plays like we're supposed to be like, ah, get out of here, you stodgy DA. But like, we've just watched him like beating people with no cause for like a 10 minutes. A whole montage. He has good instinct. He's going after the right guys, but not for the right reasons. Yeah, exactly. So the DA is upset with Dick Tracy, telling him to chill a little bit. So this is where we see that kid food montage where Dick Tracy and Tess take the kid out for a day. And at the very end... Dick's trying to get more serious with Tess in one of the most awkward scenes in the whole movie. He's trying to like ask her about moving in with him in a pretty backhanded way. Fortunately, interrupted by machine gun fire. As happens. As happens. I thought it was interesting that whenever Kid was trying on suits that he didn't want, that there was this like cherry red car with grotesque villains in it pulled up to the side and he doesn't notice. So for a guy who's supposed to be paying attention to this kind of thing, I feel like he should probably have noticed flat top and itchy, I think it was, in the in the car. Yeah, flat top and itchy. Uh, you said that there was like an awkward proposal at that point in time. <laughs> uh, we come back later to another awkward proposal, but I wonder if he was taking anything out of real life because Warren Beatty was dating Madonna and did propose to her and she didn't like... She wasn't very responsive to it. And he was like, well, you know what? This is a friendship ring. <laughs> so. Oh, God. He's no stranger to awkward proposals. Warren. Oh, what? Breathless does say at one point she likes an older man. Tracy, uh, he has some police officers stay with Tess and the kid and calls Mahoney to try to get her to testify. She comes down to the station and does a little seduce. And then he follows her back to the club. Back at Club Ritz, all of the goons are there for a meeting with Big Boy. And he basically says, I'm taking over. You'll all work for me, but we'll all make more money. Only one gangster declines, and it's James Caan. And as happens in these moments where one guy takes over the rest of the crime guys, one always dissents, and then one is killed. In this instance, James Caan is blown up in his car as he leaves. couple things. Please. So... You got James Caan, you got Al Pacino in there mm -hmm. reuniting since they played brothers in Godfather, Sonny and Michael Corleone. My boy, what they, they massacred my boy. Look how they massacred my boy. First of all, I had the line wrote that I liked. We are for the people. And if you ain't for the people, you can't buy the people. 
Who did he attribute that to? <laughs> I think he attributed it to Abraham Lincoln or something. Lincoln. He does a lot of these twisted kind of quotes. It seemed like he was always going to kill Spaldoni either way because his car was rigged to blow up right once he left. <laughs> so why even invite him? He probably knew that he wouldn't go for it, I guess. Well, then my question is, though, aren't all these other bosses concerned that all of their cars are rigged to explode just in case they had said no? I'm sure they all checked. They might have walked home after this one. Yeah, I probably would have myself. Also, I think at this point in time, Dick Tracy's like on the roof oh, as he yeah. likes to be. The stunt. And yeah, and he does the stunt where he jumps onto a lamppost and he absolutely wrecks his face on the lamppost. <laughs> now, there's also a really awkward jump from there to the to a car. The lamppost on top of the car is pretty good too. It's like so weird. Like he's like perfectly horizontal as soon as he lets off of it. But yes. anyway, into the lamppost where he smashes his face. I don't know if this is true, but in an interview, Warren Beatty was asked, you know, like, don't you feel bad for the stunt guy doing that? And he said, well, that was me. <laughs> yeah, he busted his face for sure. I could see it being Warren Beatty because this, like, he's the director. This is his pet project. He really loved Dick Tracy and, like... Right, and it explains why it's so poorly done. <laughs> yeah. Because he's not a stuntman. There are bold choices taken, and I applaud anyone for, for getting this buck wild. Gene Hackman was attached to play uh, Lips Manless until Warren Beatty was the director and he wouldn't work with him again. <laughs> wow, that's quite a reputation. A, a Gene Hackman who was willing to do a movie with Ray Romano to end his career <laughs> wouldn't do a movie with Warren Beatty, <laughs> which I think was wise. I think it was the best for both for both projects, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of the kid, he gets to have a little hero moment here as Dick Tracy is... Uh, kidnapped and then big boy attempts to bribe him for fifteen thousand dollars calls him a dumb dick like five times you dumb dick. i know he's saying he's a dumb detective but it still sounds really funny i mean it works yeah it works they knew what they were doing this is a great moment of just all of these guys and their uh, prosthetics really getting a chance to go for it al pacino does a bunch of cool moments and i wanted to bring up is this the first time where Al Pacino says, I am the law! That precedes Judge Dredd's I am the law, correct? I am the law! I think so. I, but I, I wonder if it precedes Judge Dredd in the comics saying, saying I, am I am the law. law. Well, I'm sure that's probably not the first time anyone's ever said it. Those cowboy movies and all that. But still, I really enjoyed hearing his take on that, which was pretty good. I am the law! That was pretty good. Oh, thank you. They trap him in here. They're trying to make it look like an accident. So they make uh, the boiler explode. But Kid is able to get in there and undo the ropes in a nick of time. They escape. And then we find out that the DA, Dick Van Dyke. He's on the take. He's on the take as well. Da -da -da -da. So as his reward for doing a rescue, Tess takes Kid out to get some ice cream. And in the interval, Mahoney stops by. And another great. Oh my goodness, this line. Dick Tracy goes to open the door, expecting Tess and the kid with the ice cream. And he said, what flavor ice cream did you get? And he opens the door and it's breathless. And she says, Fresh peach. Better eat it right away. It's starting to run a little. Uh, that was kind of gross, actually. Peach and it's starting <laughs> to melt. The way she says it, this character, Breathless Mahoney, I really admire this character because, okay, so she's very attractive, a very sexual person. And in this society, she uses that sexuality, that overt sexuality as a weapon 
to put people off of their balance. That thing you mentioned earlier of people don't know whether they want to kiss me or hit me. And I think that that's how she puts people off their game and she's able to get her way just by being so bold and being so sexual. And it works here because she walks right in the room. He opens the door and she just saunters right in. (laughs) And there's a funny moment. She says she needs 24-hour protection. And they say a lot of people are getting bumped off. Like, oh, they're going to bump me off. Well, no one will bump you off while I'm around. Well, not if you get bumped off first. Look, if I testify against Big Boy, you'll have me bumped off. They'd have to bump me off first. In your endo. Yeah. <laughs> Things get very steamy, and Tess sees a sneaky smooch going on between Breathless and Dick Tracy. Maybe a cheat cute? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say deceit cute. Damn it. Deceit cute. <laughs> okay, well, that's great. But we already did street cute. I don't know. How many How many of those do you get per episode? I think it's I know three. you're the arbiter. You got <laughs> I can I can keep this going. You're pulling up a spreadsheet right now, aren't you? Yeah. Hang on a second. I have one for every scene. We meet a new character after this with a familiar voice as uh, 88 Keys, which is a dope name, Mandy Patinkin, mm-hmm. my hero, meets a mysterious stranger with a Star Wars voice. Who may have killed his father. No, different movie. The voice of the mysterious stranger. Yeah, that's the Princess Leia voice. Yes, when she's Princess Leia bounty hunter, yeah. Bounty hunter suit, yeah. Yep, yep. I didn't check that. I'm just going by my eardrums and the time frame, but I have to believe it's the same person. It says it online that it is. It is, okay. okay. I don't know if it's true, but you're not the only one to remark anyway. There we go. But yeah, it's a very cool moment. And then we get a lot of cool silhouette work here. A lot of dark with light and people it, uh, really evocative of the, the comics where often it will just be a dark frame with a few lines denotating a mouth and a jaw and a hat. But it's very cool. I think the next big event is the raid on the Ritz. It's a ruse to plant a bug. <laughs> to plant a bug. An actual human whose name is Bug in the attic. And also, that's another, what's that dude's name? I can't remember, but he's in Bonnie and Clyde also with Warren Beatty. Pruneface says that the dances are the dancers are top drawer. Best broads in town, top drawer. I've never heard that as a saying, but maybe it's, maybe it's like a 30s thing. I don't know, but I always heard top shelf. I have no idea. This building is extremely dope because there's revolving walls like on every corner to like mask that they're gambling. The one spins and it's just like another table. Honestly, for some reason, I was getting this confused. I always thought that this scene was in Who Framed Roger Rabbit for some reason. I get like those scenes confused when they started flipping up, like the girls with the poker chip flips them over and it's selling cigarettes instead. Yeah, a lot of fun. We see Bug Bailey. He's got one really big ear so that he can he can listen in. After they get that bug, they know all of Big Boy's plans, so we get another montage of Dick Tracy cleaning up the city. Punching the shit out of everybody. Yes, just roundhouse and fools. He punches seven dudes at once <laughs> and knocks them all out. Warren Beatty flexing so hard. Yeah, and then he comes out with like a Tommy gun himself. I'm like, who's the gangster here? I'm telling you, Dick Tracy is a terror. The DA was onto something, but we get uh, a very great radio line here. It says, Dick Tracy is struck tonight and he is struck hard. Dick strikes again and Dick strikes hard. Right after that scene, he's he's already back to his own way. He's back at the diner insulting the chef. 
he didn't notice the whole time that that kid was on the back of his car. He's pretty neglectful. <laughs> he's, he's not a he's not very observant for for a detective. He's not very observant. He abuses witnesses. He doesn't have to be a good detective. He just beats everybody up. Yeah, he's a tough. But all their plans are undone when Bug Bailey spills a cup of coffee and it drips down through the ceiling and Big Boy and Pruneface see that there's a plant in <laughs> Al Pacino. His reaction when he saw this bike, this microphone. He's so beautifully over the top in this part. Everything he does is just so insane. He has like a, an apoplexy or something. He just like, he, he freaks out for a solid minute of screen time. Just go. It's very good. Since they know that they're listening in, um, they can set up Tracy and plan a trap. Tess, though, is unfortunately unhappy with their arrangement. They meet at the diner and Tess decides that she can't take it anymore. She knows Dick can't work behind a desk, but it's too much. And she takes off just as he's getting a call to go get trapped. So Dick gets a call on his wristwatch radio and heads off to the docks. But it's a setup as they're waiting there to kill him. And I guess it's Bug Bailey getting cemented. They've trapped him and they're about to give him a cement suit as well. Right. That, that is what it appears to be. Dick gets him out of there, but there's a moment, and I don't know exactly why, but for some reason, after he lets Bug out of the thing, he then submerges his whole ass body in the cement. Why is he covered in it? What did he do? I mean, if anything, if he even had to grab him out, maybe just his, your arms would be cementy. I get that. But Dick Tracy is fully in there. Okay, was he was he going for the element of surprise and thinking like, Oh, they think bugs in here, but let me just get under the cement so that I can pop out and surprise them. I guess because that seems like a really bad move because it's it is cement. It doesn't work, and his his gun is chock full of cement. You'd think if that was his idea, he would have kept that gun out of the cement. But hey, he's thinking on his feet, though. I mean, what do you want? <laughs> yeah, well, he never fails to act. It's not always the best decision, but he always does something. It's it seems to always work out in his favor eventually. Eh, well, you know, he doesn't freeze. Like uh, like Black Panther. Don't I don't I never freeze. Rip. F's in the chat. F's in the chat. This is the bummer corner. Everything is terrible and everyone's dead. Speaking of tears, some more are, are about to be had. Breathless meets Dick at the docks, and she confesses her feelings for him, and she says she'll do whatever he says if only they could be together. But he's still hung up on tests and declines. He wants her to testify. She says, I'll testify if we can be together. He says, nah. So she runs off, which at first I was thinking like, well, that's like a weird way to think about this. But then I got to thinking, this is the only way in her mind that she can be sure that he is not going to sell her out. If he's in love with her, that is how she can know that she can trust him. And that's the only way that she thinks that she can secure that trust because of the way she perceives the world. If she's got him like that, if they are an item, then she knows that he'll do whatever it takes to protect her because she can't trust any man in her life. And that's what she hopes, but she is rebuffed. I actually had this mixed up um, all through, in my recollections of this, I, um, and in the edit I must have watched, I think that Mandy Patinkin's character was mostly cut out, and I thought that the blank face character was 88 Keys. I thought that's who that that was, not the piano player, which makes much more sense because there's 88 Keys on a piano. Kind of wrapping up the rest of the plot, uh, No Face forges a letter and sets up the DA and Tracy. 
She knocks out Tracy and puts him at the scene after assassinating Dick Van Dyke to frame Tracy for the DA's murder. Then we get another montage of Big Boy doing crime while Dick's in jail. So this is what, like the fourth, the third or fourth montage in this one? I read that this movie has an extra half hour of deleted scenes. Oh my God. But I couldn't find them. Maybe that's what all this footage is from. I wonder if Touchstone was like, okay, you got to cut this half hour and turn this one into a montage. Seems like a good look. Dick's in jail. Tess has been kidnapped by the blank. And eventually Tracy's fellas spring him as they're moving him to another prison. And this is where they grab Mumbles again. And they use the polar bear penis recorder (laughs) to slow down the tape to show that Mumbles was actually speaking very quickly. And when he asked who killed Lips, he said, Baby did it. It was Big Boy, and he said it really fast, and they slowed it down. So they get a confession out of Mumbles, and in a pretty good gag, he just slips from his weird mumbly talk into real speech and tells them <laughs> where where they are. 88 keys. The piano man. Set you up. I wonder if he has to work really hard to talk normally, or if it's all been a ruse the whole time. His mouth is sideways. He's just Dustin Hoffman. It's a pretty good gag, so I'll give it up for Mumbles, I guess. I was really hating the noises that he was making. The What do you think, Mumbles? That was pretty brutal. And that's why I said Dustin Hoffman is the worst. But then when he spilled the beans in his regular voice, that got a chuckle out of me. Dick Tracy's in the car and he's like trying to figure out if he wants to go to Piano Keys first or Big Boy Caprice. It was so bizarre. He was like, uh, Boy, the enemy of my enemy, my friend. Oh, or the enemy of my friend, my enemy. Jesus, yeah. Or the enemy of my enemy, my enemy. And then at the end, he's, she says, The enemy of my enemy is my enemy. And then they fucking repeat it. Yeah. Said the enemy of his enemy is his enemy. Every time I would start enjoying myself in this movie, Warren Beatty would put in some like self-aggrandizing weird ass scene and just like suck me right the fuck back out of it. So they have a big standoff with Big Boy on New Year's as they're fleeing the club. They see 88 keys, and I guess Tess was in, in there. She was, like, trapped, or they, they, they had, like, I, I don't know. He jumps in this fucking skylight and then is trapped in this room. Then he does a circus trick, trapping one of his guys to free himself. There's a vault door on this room. So if this is a vault, why is there a skylight that's accessible by fire escapes? He just climbs up and can jump right into this vault. I mean, I guess you think that the 20-foot ceiling would, would be enough to keep anyone from just diving into your vault, but... They make ladders bigger than that. That's... Yeah, easily. I guess in their defense, there's nothing in the vault at this time. Right. So maybe they're they're still converting. I don't know. You said he does that little shenanigan to have oh his buddy uh, use him as like a... Like a seesaw. Yeah, a seesaw, like vaults him out. And then he strands Pat in the vault room. Yeah, that's what I mean. He just leaves him there. I don't know if we ever hear from Pat again. He reappears, I think, at the very end, but... Okay. Yeah, no, he just leaves him in the gangster's fucking vault. <laughs> I would have loved if there was just an after credit scene and Pat's still there. Hello, Dick? Or, like, Pat's a skeleton in the vault. Tracy! Dick Tracy, freed from the vault, slides down the, the storm drain again, and they do big standoff, and Big Boy and all of his guys are in a garage, and they're about to, like, bust through the police blockade. And they come out one at a time and just get absolutely annihilated by the cops who open up with 100 Tommy guns. This just seemed like 
a, a scene straight out of Bonnie and Clyde, where it just happens three times in a row. Getting to the end of things, Dick Tracy, he's been freed. He kills most of the bad guys, but Big Boy takes Tess and runs off and goes through what I think my absolute fucking favorite part of the movie of Big Boy escaping with Tess through his like secret passageways and stuff. They get on this little fucking trolley and ride <laughs> through an escape tunnel together. Yeah. It's just oh. a tiny little crawl space mine shaft, and it's adorable. It's so fun. That one of my favorite lines in the movie happens right before that, where he's like, uh, "They say I kidnapped you. I didn't kidnap you, but I'm kidnapping you now. There's life in it, not." I mean, I'm, I'm kidnapping <laughs> you now. I didn't kidnap you, but I am kidnapping you now. Yes, it's kind of doing a kidnap now. Yes, and as we'll see, Big Boy <laughs> goes to great lengths and up to including murder. To prove the fact that initially he did not do the kidnap. Yeah. <laughs> There's a final showdown. They do some chase and it's a couple it's a couple of cool moments where the, the mat work really works well here. But in the final scene, Big Boy is trying to convince Dick Tracy of his innocence while actively attempting to murder Tess, which I thought was a nice <laughs> juxtaposition there. One of the things he says too, which I made me laugh out loud. What are you playing? Hide and seek? You're hiding from me, and it's not fair. No way to be, Dick. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot my favorite weird dick line. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> when they're leaving, when Itchy and Flattop are leaving Dick to die in the basement with the boiler, <laughs> Itchy keeps chanting, 30 seconds, no more dick. That's the end of Dick. Yeah, 30 seconds, no more Dick. 30 seconds, no more Dick. 30 seconds, no more Dick. No more dick. At the very end, it's a Mexican standoff. We've got Big Boy, we've got Dick Tracy, and No Face shows up, and they face off. She gets a double tap for her trouble. And there's another dummy murder of Big Boy Caprice. Yeah. Where they just show him, like, flipping down into the nothingness, like, asshole over ankles, like... <laughs> they throw him from a precipice. Yeah. So that's another callback to Captain America. They just keep killing these dummies. Oh, yeah. It was pretty good when Warren Beatty throws this dummy down like a shaft. It was pretty good. <laughs> we see Tess is saved, and then we turn to the faceless. We see that the face is a mask, and they pull it off, and it's actually breathless. And whoops a dups, she dead. But not after having one final kiss to send her to that next world. And she says, Tell me the truth. Could never have happened between us. And he doesn't say anything and they just kiss. But in the comic book Ooh. version of the movie, hell yeah. I didn't get a chance to read the novelization, but I read the first like four or five chapters. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it's it's gritty. It's not as like funny for sure. It's like a real serious detective novel. Anyway, in the comic version, uh, he says it came darn close. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I thought so. What is not nice yet again, I'm seeing this in HD. It ruined the moment for me. They do this final kiss, and they pull away, and Breathless dies. But as she pulls away, there's a little little strand of spit on their lips. That's another thing. Okay. In the HD, so I, I didn't say it, because like, I was like, am I, being, am I being picky? No, it was gross. I was like, oh, gross. 
there's that scene, and in the very beginning, whenever Big Boy is doing the musical number, yeah, and uh, he smashes uh, 88 Key's hands in the piano, whenever Madonna comes out and says, like, uh, you shouldn't do that, he's the best piano player in, in town, when she says piano, she lets off the biggest piece of spit I've ever seen. HD. That's an interesting character choice. I don't, ah, whatever. I just got a new TV, so I'm seeing the world like afresh, and and I don't like it. I wish I want to roll it back. I want to roll it back a little bit. Give me some film grain. You can never roll it back. Nothing will ever look the same. So she's dead. Tess is saved after Dick emerges. Everybody else is there. She comes out. She looks at Dick Tracy. She kind of sees that she's dead because she saw her get shot. Um, and then is like, I don't know. It's kind of a weird smile. It's kind of like Tess is like, oh God, she's dead. Thank goodness. And then they have a nice kiss and zoom out. I might have been in a mood, but for like the look that she gives her is not so much, oh, thank God you're alive. It's, oh, oh, she's dead. Okay. Problem solved. Well, that's the other thing. So yeah, because he's like, call an ambulance and she starts walking away. I'm like, I don't think she's going to call an ambulance. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a way of working itself out. Yeah. She calls her mom and's like, "Hey, just wanted to see how you were doing. I just want to let you know. Oh no, that. Oh, oh no, she dead. We're good. <laughs> we're back on, mom. No worries. So yeah, we get a little epilogue and possibly one of. I guess this is just Warren Beatty's because of this information, this new information. Warren Beatty's just um like idea of romance, but there is the most awkward and embarrassing." proposals of all time to end this movie and it really just makes you feel for Tess after all of this this is this is her fucking reward this half-hearted oh by the way hair and he just fucking chucks it across the room it's a it's a ring you dumb broad we're getting married <laughs> and that's it end of movie that was uh Dick Tracy we're gonna head into our favorite part of the show where we see how this comic matched up with the original source material in the comic Convergence. Max Allen Collins did the novelization of this book, and he did two follow-up novels, Dick Tracy Goes to War and Dick Tracy Meets His Match. Uh, Mm -hmm. The interesting thing to note is uh, Max Allen Collins is the person who took over the comic strip after Chester Gold retired. Oh. So they use a lot of uh, Max Allen Collins' expertise and knowledge whenever they were writing the script. He wanted to write the novelization differently than the movie, like heavily different because he wasn't a big fan of the screenplay. But instead, they just kept asking him to rewrite it to closer to the movie. But they would also take a lot of bits from his book and put in the movie. Well, we talked before about... um rare uh toys and there's the uh okay the blank toy where you take the mask off and it's uh breathless mahoney nice they were selling those before the movie came out and then they put a halt on them because that was giving (laughs) away a big spoiler and there's a two different versions of the novelization is what i wanted to say about that uh the first novelization that came out before the movie as like a Mm lead-in did not tell you who uh, the blank was at the end. Oh, sick. And then the one, they, they released it again after the movie came out to give you the little extra bits. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Also, Max Allen Collins, known for the graphic novel Road to Perdition. So he's not just some Dick Tracy backup writer. So 
There you have that. It looks like a comic. I mean, this is like uh, Sam said earlier with that, the Sin City, like this is like a living comic book, basically the shots, the the angles, kind of the heightened sense of everything, the weird facial. So I think this is like, this is pretty spot on. Well, a, a lot of people are, seemed pretty passionate about Dick Tracy and it, and it did pretty well at the box office. The domestic gross was 103 million. Its opening weekend was like 22. So not too bad. A lot of media tie-ins. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff. This was really big. This is a thing that kids at the time were excited about, but we kind of didn't really know why. You know, it was one of those kind of things. It's not like a man like killing people. He's like killing these weird monstrosities. So it's like, oh, it's a little bit better, um, mm-hmm. especially as a kid, because it's, you know, a guy shooting monsters. Right. McDonald's had cups, collectible cups. They had scratch-offs like the Monopoly game. Oh, sick. To help Dick Tracy catch his uh, criminals, his rogues gallery. MTV had a contest or something where you could win 15,000 clams. <laughs> I, I'm not sure exactly what the contest was off the top of my head, but I, you know, I briefly read about it. It was a pervasive media event. The critical reception on the uh, Rotten Tomatoes, we got uh, a tomatometer reading of 63%, audience score at 53%, Metacritic is a little bit higher, it's a user score of 7 and a meta score of 68 Roger Ebert, he gave this one, he was a big fan, 100%, four stars, he loved it. He just horny. <laughs> he just horny gene siskel gave it a three so yeah this is it's very well received and i think it has like a long for just being a really one-off movie where nothing much else came of it dick tracy is i don't know if it has to do with the i the way the character designed or what but it is immediately recognizable and it's certainly a, a thing i think about personally when i think about the 90s yeah i don't have any big memory of it or anything like that like i said but Having watched it, you know, more recently, I i mean, I thought it was a pretty beautiful movie compared to other similarly shot comic flicks, really stylistically accurate. A passion project, to be sure. Mm-hmm. Speaking of passions, it's time for who's your hero, who's your villain. We'll each get two choices, our favorite, our best, our worst, whatever you want to do. Let's hear it. I'll go. Please. I'll start with the villain. Ooh. You probably guessed by now I kind of have a theme, uh-huh. but my villain is usually the hero of the movie. So Dick Tracy's my <laughs> villain. So much child neglect. He's like a complete jerk to service people. He like keeps bad mouthing that chef. He's like, oh, this, <laughs> this food tastes different today. What'd you do? Wash the bowl? I'm like, geez, Dick. Mowing people down with Tommy guns. He's stranding his buddy who just freed him from jail, stranding him in a vault at a gangster's club. The list goes on and on. I'm going to go with my hero, Kid. He's just like a, a ton of fun. He's got a good kid energy. He's never like too clingy or annoying. He's self-sufficient, but it's nice and cute too. I, I thought the scene where he names himself Dick Tracy Jr. was a little bit, ooh. But at the same time, it's nice. You know, this is the first time anyone's ever looked out for him. True to the comic strip though, he did adopt a street urchin and named him Junior. Oh, okay. That's fun. So there you go. I like the idea of Junior being his name as opposed to Kid. It's it's not yeah. it's still not ro- like a name, but it's, you know, fits his character. You can't call him Little Dick. <laughs> no. This is this is my new boy, Little Dick. <laughs> Little Dick. You can call me Big Dick. You can cut that. I'm going to do a goof one for villain. 
my villain, and it's it's because I hate it. I hate Lips Manless. The way he's got this weird fucking fish mouth, and he just sucks down oysters for like 20 minutes while Madonna's singing. Ugh. You don't want to watch attractive people eat oysters, let alone monsters. And he slurps them. I get sick when you eat. Ugh. Ugh. This gave me oyster aversion for like 20 years. It's terrible. It scarred me as a child, his big, weird fish lips. So that's my villain. Well, then I'm going to go my hero. And my hero is John Calione Jr., the special characters makeup designer. Al Pacino's personal makeup designer now. After he did that movie, he was his personal makeup guy for the rest of his career. You can't deny that these characters are literally just peeled right off the comic grotesquely so someone said to this guy take this weird character drawing and make it into a real person and he fucking did it make it real he turned william forsyth into a completely unrecognizable flat top yeah i was shocked in the credits when i said flat top like will forsyth i was (laughs) i was shook to my core honorable mention for hero is the casting director yeah putting this all together I read that Dustin Hoffman did it as a favor to Warren Beatty, but I mean, you get Sonny Corleone, William Forsyth, Madonna. The list is, I mean, I'm not going to read you the whole cast list, but the point is it's stacked. And Al Pacino. Yeah. And interesting to note, he uh, got an Academy Award nomination for this. Oh. And this movie came out the same year as Godfather Part 3. Huh. So his supporting actor uh, nomination was up against Andy Garcia who plays Sonny Corleone's <laughs> son in Godfather Part 3. So he was up against one of his co-stars from that movie. Wow. Uh, and they ultimately lost to Joe Pesci, who won for Goodfellas. So it's all like, it all kind of fits together, right? You say Scor- Scorsese was in line to direct this movie, but he does Goodfellas. And you have the Al Pacino and the Godfather. I mean, like he was connected in a way to every single one of those nominations, which is wild. There's a really bizarre interview uh with leonard malton oh yes uh where warren Beatty just plays dick tracy in the interview in character kind of like the borat interviews on like the late night things it's really bizarre quite a while after the movie came out it's 2008 18 years later he i mean he looks really old they make a joke that he's 107 years old because his uh from the strip he was 107 years old since its inception he talks shit on Warren Beatty's adaptation. Yeah. And how the only thing that Warren Beatty got right was that he looks a lot like Dick Tracy, shockingly like Dick Tracy, and that's the only good thing about Warren Beatty's Dick Tracy movie. It's it's strange. And I had read that the only reason he did this was so that he would be able to maintain the film rights to Dick Tracy by going on and playing Dick Tracy in an interview. It was quite a journey, I'll say. The next thing you should watch is... A little movie that had a five-year-old read, Jumpin' for Joy. They announced this movie that there would be a trailer and it would play at a specific time right before the cartoon show started. It was a Sunday morning and I had to go to church and I made my dad tape this before the cartoon show started. The trailer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie. I'm excited for next time, but what did you think about this time? Let's get your final opinions. Is this movie worth a watch? I feel like it does what uh, what it set out to do, 
which is to peel the comic strip from the Sunday funnies and put it on the screen. And it, it they the coloration, the acting, yeah. everything. There are only a few movies that can really capture that in my in my book. I never know what I'm comparing it to. It's not Citizen Kane, but it's definitely okay. yeah, exactly. Dick Tracy. We're for the perfect comic movie, you know. I feel like if you took just random screenshots from this movie, and I'm sure that they did, and just put speech bubbles over it, it would it would work as a comic strip. It's a perfect distillation of Dick Tracy, that's for sure. I mean, I loved it, personally. If we're going personal and not just, like, critically speaking, I was pulled in the whole time. It's kind of in the zone of a good, bad movie, but I don't think it's a bad movie per se. It's just got good, bad movie energy. I think that's just the sheer passion on the screen. Everyone everyone is buying in at the highest level, and everyone is committing. You know, from Madonna to Pacino to Warren Beatty, everyone is absolutely going for it. The fact that it is a passion project and that it's cut down from a much larger product is kind of visible on the screen. It's a little janky at times but when it works it works so well that you kind of don't remember the times when it doesn't this is a, a popcorn movie for sure i mean this played like gangbusters on a big screen this is certainly a movie theater or, or in my experience a drive-in kind of number there's huge big sweeping things the bright colors but there is some substance issues on this watch through my main takeaway is that madonna just fucking kills it she really steals this movie in I don't know if she was given any awards, but she would have gotten Best Supporting Actress in my Oscars. In the Reed Oscar nommies, she would be high on the list. I think this one nails the comicness, but it has its moments where I think it could have been tighter. After this, we're going to do Madonna's Truth or Dare. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll have to come up with a context in which to include all the Madonna movies, but we'll, we'll, we'll work on that fine listeners and thank you thank you and give us some ideas thank you for supporting us and thank you for listening please remember to rate review and subscribe uh, hit us up at nerdaplexy at gmail.com or at nerdaplexy pod on twitter uh, thank you to the cast crew of dick tracy for making this movie for us to talk about uh, special thanks also go out to Dave at the face of Dave on Twitter. He is our social media manager, and he's got some uh, pretty funny tweets out there. Next time will be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so check that one out. I'm so excited to get into this. I will watch this movie uh, probably once a year anyhow, so I'm excited. I can finally get my watch out of the way for this one. Uh, I'm a Donatello man myself. I'm a Michelangelo boy. Uh, and until next time. We are Lean, Lean Green, Green and, and on the Screen. screen baby. Now we know what kind of music you like. Mamba number five. A little bit of shredder in my life. Michael a little bit Angelo. of crank in my life. A little bit of bebop in my life. A little rock steady in my life. He didn't say in my life for every line, though, does he? I don't know. <laughs> it's like Dude, all night I'm long just, come in on, the sun. <laughs> fucking yes and, you fucking bitch. No but. <laughs>